This morning's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Please follow along in your own Bibles as the text is printed on the screens above, and I'll be reading from the New International Version today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you haven't caught word of it yet, we are talking about sex this morning. Awkward silence. Yes. Um, so a couple of couple of notes really quick. If you have kids or teenagers um, and you're like, I just don't feel comfortable with them being in the room, please feel free to take them out. All right? Now you get total permission to do that. And I'm giving you permission to do that sometime within the next like 10 seconds. So there isn't that awkwardness to be like, oh my gosh, we have to sneak out in front of 10 other people. No, just just go. You know, go to the cafe or... I don't know, somewhere. No, play ping pong, whatever, right? Whatever gives you space if you're like, we're not ready to talk about this. That's preface number one. The second thing that I would, I would like to say is that as I was preparing for this sermon, it was, it was unlike any other experience. Now, I've talked about sex before. Uh, that's, you know, in 11 years of ministry, working with college students and young adults, you know, you talk about this stuff. You encounter it in ministry. But the thing about our congregation is that in this room, there's probably kids who are probably like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13. And then I have people who are like in their 70s. It's really hard to speak to that wide of a gap. Really difficult. Partly because I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Right? I know about this journey. I don't know much about this journey, although I've encountered quite a bit. And so in some ways, I feel like talking about this is like walking through a landmine. And so I'm going to give you a preface, Okay. Two things. One, I'm probably going to offend you on some level today. And I want you to just take that. And it might be, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, I can't believe he said that in church. Or, oh my goodness, honey, did you hear him use that word? (laughs) Just take a breather. We're okay. We're okay. The second thing is that I'm probably going to end up raising more questions than answers. And so what I want to encourage you to do is if you have a question... Write it down, make note of it, right after the service, or about 10 minutes after, we're going to have a Q&A session. And you can bring your questions, and I will answer any question you want. My promise to you in that Q&A is that I will answer honestly and truthfully. And so if you're like, I really want to ask him this question, whether it's about my experience or inexperience, or whether it's about my struggles or my successes, I'll answer it for you. To the best of my ability... I will also preface that with saying I might answer your question with a question, which is what Jesus did a lot. It's very rabbinic. So I might lean into that, all right? We're not so obsessed with answers this morning as we are obsessed and more, maybe obsessed, maybe intentional is a better word about our heart or our intention. All right, does everyone feel okay in the room so far? Go like this. All right, you're good. You're good with me. Okay. All right, let's go. So I was 11 years old, and I remember this. I was 11 years old, and you know, before you're 11, you notice a girl, and maybe they're cute, but in that young age, especially before 11, it's more like, I like someone, so I'm going to like, I don't know, pick on them, or something like that. Kind of harmless, right? But I was 11 years old, and I remember very specifically 
noticing this magazine that was in our house. And it was a Victoria's Secret magazine, okay, that my mom had delivered to our house. Now, you guys are like, well, VS is everywhere, like whatever. But back in the day, when I was growing up, VS was kind of like a, oh my goodness. That and Fredericks of Hollywood were both kind of like, oh my goodness. And when you walked in the mall, you tried very hard to look straight, okay? (laughs) And if your mom or your sister went in there, you just didn't go in. Well, I didn't go in, okay? But I remember. The magazine was there, 11 years old, and I just noticed that these women were very pretty. I just thought, wow, they're really pretty. And I was changing. My body was changing. There was something that I started to feel that I couldn't really understand. I thought it was like kind of normal and natural. I remember feeling different, and I started thinking about these women, fantasizing about them, basically, is what I was doing at 11. But I didn't really understand what fantasizing was. No one had told me. No one had explained to me. I just felt something different as I looked at these women because they were beautiful. I didn't know what sin was. I didn't know what lust was. I'd never heard of the deeds of the flesh in church ever. All I ever experienced in church was Jesus story videos, which were like these animated ones from the 90s, and we played the same ones over on like an eight-week rotation. So I knew all of them. We had the flannel board characters, which I knew. We always had Cheez-It and Fruit Punch, which I loved. And then on Wednesday nights, we built model cars. We watched a Jesus video, Q&A sheet, model cars. That was it. Nothing about lust or sin or anything like that. When I started growing older, I was 12. Uh, you were supposed to be 13 to get into youth group, but they let me like, get into youth group a bit early because I was like building two model cars faster than everyone else, and I was answering all the questions, and like the five-year-olds were struggling to keep up with me, and I wasn't gracious. So I joined in youth group. I was 12, and most of the kids were like sophomores in high school. Okay? And I remember one of the first teachings that my two youth pastors, their names were Lisa and Lori, and they were awesome, awesome people. They taught on Galatians 5, and they started speaking about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Right, there's this whole passage where Paul talks about sexual immorality and all of these things, and then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I felt something in my heart quicken. And I knew and recognized that there was something about the deeds of the flesh and something about my experience with Victoria's Secret that was registering in my heart. I just, I knew it. And I kind of silently prayed, like, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't really know why, but I'm sorry. It wasn't fully explained to me why. It was never fully unpacked what was going on, but I knew that there was this association between something about lust and sin and Galatians 5 and how the fruit of the Spirit and what that was and what I was feeling, it wasn't, it wasn't quite, quite right, but it wasn't fully explained. Now, throughout the end of middle school and high school, you'd expect that it would get better, right? He's getting older, maybe he's learning, maybe he's wising up more, no more models, no more fruit punch, no more Jesus models, you know what I mean? But here's the thing, it didn't get better. Because in church, I kept on hearing about holiness and how God wanted us to live right before him. And in all of those situations, sex was always talked about as a negative thing. It was never positive. Sexuality was always this thing where they would basically say, sex, uh, no, nothing, no, 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 no. Once you're married, okay. That was it. Nothing about after marriage. Nothing about, like, the Song of Solomon, which, you know, every middle schooler is, like, trying to read. Like, what do you think he meant when he talked about the apples and the hills that go across and the deer jumping across? What do you think that meant? (laughs) 
did you read about the stream flowing through the valley? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Nothing about any of that. Just sex is bad. Stay away. And if you're struggling, ask for forgiveness. And once you're married, it's good. That was it. So you'd expect that it got better, but it didn't, because that's all I heard about in church. I was told, live right, be holy, sex is bad. Now, in school, it was completely different. I was known as a strong Christian in my school. I started, like, a Christian club and, like, you know, like, help. I was, that was just my life. I knew I was going to be a pastor when I was 11, so it was just kind of who I was. And it was interesting. I had a few friends who were very intrigued by my faith. Two of which were um, young girls, women, young women. We were sophomores at the time. I'm not going to say their names. But we were good friends, and I trusted them, and they trusted me. I guess that was a safe space. And in geometry class, they would, it, was, it was ninth grade geometry, they would ask me these questions. They would say, hey, JD, they were very popular girls, and they had a certain reputation. And they would say, what, is, what, is Jesus, what does Jesus think about fondling? And I'm like, well, there's the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And sex before marriage is bad and God loves you. And they would go, oh, okay, cool. They came to me almost every week, every class. They would say, what does Jesus say about like, if I went down on somebody or if I did like something with my hand, you know, what, what, would, that, what would that be like? And they kept on asking me these questions. And they weren't mocking me. They were genuinely curious. And I loved them and had conversations with them all throughout my high school years. We still connect every now and then on Facebook. We're friends. I have another friend. His name I can say because we're buddies and he wouldn't mind me sharing this. His name was Jack. Jack was like the popular kid that I wanted to be, but I wasn't because he was like an athlete and strong and tall and I was like short Asian. You know, it just didn't work. (laughs) I was like a band guy, but he was an athlete. But Jack and I had this really unique friendship. We carried it through college. And Jack would come to me, and I don't know why, but he felt like I was his personal priest or something. And he would confess to me every single week about what happened on the weekends. He'd be like, J.D., I just got to tell someone. I just feel like I can talk to you. I just, oh, yeah, we were out there, and we just got hammered, man. Just, you know what I mean? Every week. I still remember the time when he came, and he told me about how he lost his virginity. I still remember it was interesting because he was like, first of all, I mean, Jack could have had any girl and he had this one, this happened with this one girl and it's just kind of like, what? Like, you weren't even interested in her. You know how high school stories happen like that? Like, what? I never saw that coming. Mm. You know? And uh, they were both drunk. He's like, yeah, dude, it just happened. And then it was done. And then that was it. That was it. And I still remember him talking to me and me listening to that and well, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and God loves you and before marriage, that was it. Now, in college, you would expect that this got better. It didn't. All right. In my freshman year, I'm walking down the hall of Jester. Um, Jester is this dormitory that's at the University of Texas in Austin. When I went there, there were 54,000 students. That's where Sarah and I met. And on the first day, I'm walking with my parents, kind of nervous, mom and dad. And they're, you know, we're Christian conservative family, South Texas, Pentecostal holiness background. We're walking down. And from a distance, I could see a sign that says, hot girls enter here with an arrow going towards a door. And I'm like, who in the right mind would do that, right? And as we get closer and we're looking for my room number, I stop at the sign and I see my room and it's my roommate. 
who I had never met. <laughs> he was the one who put the sign in there. And I walked in, and here's this Italian guy with curly hair. And he's just like, hey, oh, boy, what's up, man? I don't even remember what he said. My parents were shocked. <laughs> They're praying for deliverance in the room, spiritual protection. You know, we walk in, and, like, our room was tiny. I mean, tiny, smaller than this stage. And I look on the side, and, like, our beds were kind of the ones that would fold out and go in. And I look over, and he has, like, he, he was, like, an engineer major. And he created this beer bong like that he made with multiple valves he was very proud it was the first thing he showed me look individual like style controls this is awesome we're gonna live it up and my parents are like in the name of jesus in the name of jesus in the name of jesus you know my mom praying in korean right (laughs) now what's funny about that experience is that I still was like, I hadn't really dated. My, parent, my mom has some really strict dating rules, which is another story for another time. And I, I was in this ministry where they were like, dating is bad. It, sex was not bad. Dating was bad. So I was kind of like chill. I was popular, but I was chilling. Well, it was interesting. I still remember the first time that like, I came home from a prayer meeting one night with one of the Christian groups I was a part of. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I was like, hey guys, what's up? You know, he was there with two of his friends and the room is tiny, small on the stage. So he's like there, my bed's right here. And I'm like, hey, I'm tired. I'm going to pass out, go to sleep, go to sleep. And I hear them giggling and laughing. And I hear these sounds of people having sex. They're listening to, they're watching porn right there. It's the first time that I had really ever really encountered that in my life. Not the last, but the first time. And it was kind of like shocking and they were just like, oh, look at that, I'm cool, you know, and I'm just like trying to sleep, just like, what's going on? Went away for a weekend to Houston for a ministry thing, was very involved with different things, and we toured when I was in college doing worship stuff. Came back home, and I remember walking to the room one time, and Ryan's like, hey, what's up, man? Like, hey. And then there's a female voice, and she's like, hi. I'm like, hi, I'm JD cool. She's like, I'm someone, I don't remember her name, right? And I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to get breakfast. I'll be back. (laughs) Right? And they kind of, whatever. They were there, I'm sure. That was the world I lived in. Now, I wish I could say that, like, I somehow remained pure through all of this, right? I read all the books, Every Young Man's Battle, Passionate Purity, and all of that. But when I started dating, I was so ill-equipped I had a church telling me that I had to be holy and righteous, but they weren't teaching me at all how to do it. They were just saying, don't do this, just do that. They weren't explaining anything. It wasn't a safe place to talk about anything I experienced or saw. They would have thought that I was somehow being tainted by the unholiness of my surroundings, which seems to make no sense because light shines brighter than darkness. And so when I started dating my first girlfriend, I, man, we crossed so many lines so fast. It was just like curiosity, freedom. And it was this endless cycle of guilt and shame. Now, I can say that before I got married, I still did not have sex. But I did everything pretty much before that and got really close a couple times. As a Christian... Going to church, serving on teams, leading worship, having this double life, feeling horrible, going to church. (sighs) 
over and over and over and over again. And what happened in my life was that there was this separation from my everyday life and what I was experiencing with my sexuality and what I believed. There was no sexual integrity. What I believed and wanted to hold dear, I wanted to honor God. I wanted to love Him, but I was never taught how to do it. I never, and all the books I had read and things were not helpful, the accountability groups, just somehow the structure in the culture was not good. Now look, I'm not, I know that I'm not the only one who's experienced this. I've seen this in all of my years as a leader and a pastor. I've seen so many people of all ages struggle to connect what they believe and how they live, especially when it comes to sexuality. I hear about young adults who are like, JD, should we live together or not? And my answer to them is always this, well, can you live together without having sex? And they're like, hmm, let me get back to you on that. Honest answer. I hear about college students, teenagers, middle school students struggling with their access to porn. It's so easy. Middle-aged men, middle-aged women, older, younger, everyone. It's so easy to access that. We're surrounded by sexuality. You know, the conversations that deal with sexual identity. You know, am I gay? Am I lesbian? Am I bi? You know, what happens if I come out? Will my church hate me? I can't tell my parents. There's no way I can tell my parents. It would destroy their heart. I've walked with people who have been hurt by their own experiences, but by the experiences with others. I've seen grandparents struggle with understanding, what is this world? What is Snapchat? And what, how, Instagram? And how in the world? And Later on in life, right? Like, should we take the blue pill or not? I don't know. It'd be nice if we could, you know, maybe once in a while. Well, I don't know. I've seen men struggle with that question. I've seen women struggle with, well, as I go through menopause, my body is changing. What does that mean for me and my sexuality? I'm single. I'm a widow. What does that mean for me? This is something that encounters all of us. And what's really sad is that often the church is not a place of answers. It's a place of silence. And so what happens is that culture and its often broken expressions of sexuality become our only guide. So what can we realistically expect? If we aren't talking about it, if we aren't speaking into it, what can we expect? Good little boys and girls, good little men and women? We don't see that. I don't see that. And I think God's heart breaks. It doesn't break because of what you think. I don't think that God has this narrative where he's like, look at all these unholy people struggling to live into their identity. I think it's quite the opposite. You see, I believe that God gave us sexuality as a gift. He created our bodies with these desires, and he wants us to enjoy it. And it's not something that is supposed to be so burdened and so heavy. And I think his heart breaks because of what we experience because of this disconnection. So how do we do this? JD, okay, I get it. I feel you. Where do we go? Well, fortunately for us, we're not the first people who are following Jesus to struggle with this. The early church in Rome uh, knew this quite well. First century Rome, sex was everywhere. I mean, we don't need to get into that in detail, but it was something that they had a connection with us. It was in their culture. It was related to power dynamics, age dynamics. Everyone in every socioeconomic strata felt this sexuality pull in that culture. And so Paul, when he's writing letters to his Christian brothers and sisters and disciples, he talks about it quite a bit. 
And this verse that we're going to talk about, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is a familiar verse, and we kind of miss it. It's really not linked to one of those sexuality passages. I could have talked about the one in 1 Corinthians, but Paul is, whenever you read Corinthians, I don't know if you know this, but Paul is really mad at the Corinthians usually. And he just comes across as this very angry, like, and I don't, we don't, we don't, need, we don't need Paul's tone to the Corinthians for us this morning. So we're going to stay with Romans. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, right, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is verse 1. Very familiar verse that's often talked about with worship, and we miss a really key detail. The detail is this. Paul says, offer your bodies as an appropriate or spiritual or true and proper act of worship. Offer your bodies, not your mind, not your spirit. Offer your bodies. So the first thing that I want to suggest to you this morning is that our bodies matter. What we do with our bodies matter. What we don't do with our bodies matter. It matters to God. And it's not just our spirit. It's not just our intellect. It's not just our, 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 that, the emotions even. It's our physical bodies. Now, we can talk about this quite a bit, right? We can talk about what it means to be a steward of this vessel of the Holy Spirit that Paul says. And we can talk about bodily health, exercising, eating well, doing that, right? But for the scope of our discussion, I think all of that is true. But for the scope of our discussion, I want us to focus on what this means in the context of sexuality, How we use our bodies matters to God. It is an act of worship. So how do we do this? How do we honor God with our bodies as an act of worship? And I think the answer is in verse 2. And it says this in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now look, this is really helpful for us, right? One, do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's helpful for us because we know that culture's examples on sexuality are not very good and positive. You could Google, I mean, I did this. It was really crazy. I just went out and be like, um, sex tips, enter. It's crazy. Not safe for work. Don't do it at the Pine Lake office. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Okay, if you go to Christian sex tips, there are some, but not really, but they're really different. Right? There's either nothing at all, or the things that are given are like completely, like one position, the missionary, that is God-ordained. The other ones, mm. you guys are giggling because some of you are like, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. God is saying that there is a better way. That we don't have to listen to culture. We don't have to be informed by culture. That there is something that leads to greater life, that leads to greater design. Now, this is a really, really small example, but I think it's helpful in some ways. When I was a kid, I remember my youth pastors being like, we were going on a camp out to Big Bear on a ski trip, and they were like, have you ever had a s'more? I came to America when I was seven, okay? I had never had a s'more before. And I was like, what is that? And they're like, it's graham crackers with marshmallow and chocolate chips. And I was like, or chocolate. And I said, I've eaten all of those things separately, and they were like, no, but have you eaten it? Like with a roasted, toasted marshmallow, perfectly like sandwich with chocolate. And you got to wait a little bit for it to get melted. And then you, no, I had never. And I experienced one, a s'more, in that proper order with the proper amount of like softness and all that. And it was delicious. It was better than the separate pieces together. 
There's a design. Do you see what I'm saying? There's an intentionality that God has. He's saying, there's a way that I want you to function. You could do whatever you want. You could experience sexuality in whatever you want. You have the freedom to do so. But there's a design. You don't have to be informed by culture. You can be free. Okay, so I think there are three shifts of thinking, right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think there are three shifts of thinking, three renewing of our minds that can happen for us to experience transformation. And I'm going to go through them very quickly. It's a challenge for us as Christians. It's a challenge for us as a church. The first shift of thinking I think that we can go from is from silence to communication. Everyone say silence. Everyone say communication. Okay, good. You are with me. I intentionally made no slides so you'd be with me, just if you're wondering, why are there no slides? It's intentional. We have to talk about sex at every single level, right? I mean, my story is one story, but my exposure to things were late. I hear about elementary kids. I hear, I, I hear about horrible things that happen, you know, very, very young age. I hear about middle school students, high school students, encountering things, having exposure to things way, way early. If the church doesn't speak, we lose our voice. We lose our influence. We lose the opportunity to say there is something deeper that God desires for you. And it's not a rule. It's not a negative. Right? Pastor Mark said this so beautifully last week. Within the, if you don't have God's narrative, that no, it becomes a big no. But with God's narrative, the no becomes a big Yes. We need to tell people that narrative. We need to tell our students that narrative. But it's not just for them. It's for our young adults. It's for our married couples. How many of you know if you've been married that sex changes along with marriage? So funny, right? I was like, yeah, people, I'm glad someone raised their hands. Yes, right? But like some people in the beginning, I remember it was like, oh my gosh, like Christian narrative, sex before marriage, the most amazing thing, la, 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 la. Okay, our first night was like, Two people trying to build Ikea furniture without any instructions or tools. <laughs> Do you know how strange that is? <laughs> what is going on? Disconnects here. I think something's missing. This is weird. I don't get it. Oh my gosh. And then I was like, I have failed, right? I have failed. We gotta talk about it. We gotta go from silence to communication. Here's an example, and then we'll go to our second thing. My dad, oh, God bless my dad. I love him. It's a longer story, but I love my dad. My dad never had to talk with me until like three days before my wedding. <laughs> we were driving back, okay, <laughs> like from this trip, and he's like, son, I gotta talk with you. Now, if you know anything about my personality, I, I, I'm, I like to learn. I like to delve myself into research, and if I do something, I'm going to commit to it, right? And so by this point, I had read three of the top books recommended by clinical sexologists and about 100 different articles on AskMen.com and GQ and Men's Health. I mean, I knew more about, like, the female anatomy and sexuality than Sarah did, okay? So my dad is like, I need to talk to you about, you know... And I'm like, Dad, I'm covered. I'm good. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, great. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Very simply, we got to talk about it. And all the awkwardness. 
right? If you're just learning about what sexuality is, you've got to ask those questions. I'm feeling these things. Gender confusion. I'm, I don't understand. All these, my friends are doing this. I'm doing this. The church has to be a safe place for our young people to come to where we can talk to them. If you're married and you're older and you're struggling, talk about your sex life. I like this. I don't like this. Maybe we should try something. Maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. Dress like a panda. Maybe that'll make me excited. Whatever. Talk about it. Or maybe it's, you know what, we're getting older and sex isn't as important because it's not. That's the funny thing about marriage, right? Before you get married, it's like sex, 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 sex. But then after you get married, look, I've had more intimate moments with Sarah sitting there eating chips and salsa, watching an episode of, like, Friends than I've had doing anything physical. There's a connection. Silence the communication. We've got to talk about it. The second shift, this is a tricky one, so I'm going to try to explain this quickly, is that we have to go from thinking about what's right and wrong to what's wise and unwise. We have to shift from thinking about what's right and wrong to what's wise and unwise. Now, I'm not arguing for relativism. There is a right and wrong. There's a very clear line on some things where God says, this is my design. On other things, people are like, which we embrace. Our denomination is cool with embracing dialogue. We are cool with embracing dialogue. So I'm not saying let's throw right and wrong out. I'm saying that when we use right and wrong as the main mode of thinking, some very unhelpful things happen. Whenever I use right and wrong as a way of thinking, I become very self-righteous and very judgmental and very legalistic. Oh, that person struggling with um, pornography. Oh, well, that's a sin. Brother, good luck. Right? Oh, that person, they are, they're, they're gay, and oh my goodness, that is wrong. Romans 2. God bless you. Whenever we use right and wrong as the mode of thinking and operation, it doesn't work. The Bible is clear about a lot of things, but there's a lot that the Bible is not clear about. Can couples live together? How far is too far? Can you hold hands? Can you kiss? I remember when we were kids, like, did you kiss? Yes. Did you use tongue? <laughs> like, as if that was like a big deal. It's always messy the first time. It's horrible. <laughs> How far is too far? What's considered sex? Like, is intercourse considered sex? What about oral sex or some of the other sexes? Is it okay to live together? Is it okay to use contraceptives? Are we limiting God's design when, when, when we use a condom or birth control? Can I use pills for performance enhancement? The Bible does not have a thou shalt not use Viagra. It doesn't exist. Right? What's more helpful when we think about some of these things is to think what's wise and unwise. Is it wise to live together? Probably not. And here's the reason why. Right? Is it wise to like start playing with like, you know, like that, that, that second base to third baseline? Probably not. Here's the reason why. Sex is a very, very, very slippery slope. No one says from the beginning, yes, I want the destruction that these small decisions are going to bring. Yes, I'll be addicted to porn and have a failed marriage. Yes, I will live a double life and struggle with my identity and self-medicate through drugs. Yes, I'll have my marriage end in an affair. No one says yes to that. 
But it comes through small things. It comes through small things. And so instead of being like right and wrong, hard and fast, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to live with wisdom? Right? And the example from Scripture is that there's a story in Proverbs 7 where the father is telling his son, be careful of the adulterous woman. Right? She entices you. She puts on her perfume and her beautiful clothes and says, when my husband is gone, come to me and let us lie together, young man. But the end, the end of the passage, it's like, oh, that's cool. They're just hanging out. Maybe they're getting tea, you know? I don't know. Maybe they're enjoying hummus and pitas. Whatever. But the end of the passage, the father says, her road leads to death and destruction. You never see that true consequence. So instead of right and wrong, we've got to live with wise and unwise. And here's a third shift. A third shift going from a culture of shame to a culture of grace. A culture of shame to a culture of grace. The church should be known for grace, not for shame. And what's so, so tragic is that oftentimes the church is known as a place of shame and judgment. I think that comes from several things. I think we really want to, like, honor God well And I think there are times when we're like, we want to get this right. You know, we want to be people of the word and have a high view of scripture. What if we loved well? What if we protected well? Honored well? What if we became a people that was known as graceful and gracious people? For every person who ever comes through Pine Lake Covenant Church, they say, you know what? I didn't believe in everything they believed in and they had some crazy views, but they were so gracious and kind. I just felt like they loved me as I was. I really believe that that is God's desire for us. The example I think about in scripture, right, is in John 8. The Pharisees bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. Interesting, the woman is there, but not the man. Very interesting. And she's probably, I mean, they had just like, she was caught in the act, so you probably imagine she's probably naked, right? They didn't wait for her to dress herself. They bring her out this is, what, this is so perfect for what Mark said. And they're about to stone her. Right? And they come and they're like, Jesus, what is right and wrong? The law says that we're supposed to kill this woman. What do you say? Jesus writes into the dirt with his finger, which it's kind of like, what? what? Jesus, why are you doing that? That's weird. You know, he's just writing the dirt as people are talking. Some scholars, and I think it's really important to know, that when God wrote the Ten Commandments, he wrote it with his finger. It's written in Exodus that way. That he wrote it on the tablets of stone with his finger. So maybe this is an allusion to that. God is saying the law is actually really meant about this, not about what you're talking about. So he's writing with his finger. And then he says, let any of you who's without sin throw the first stone. And the author says he continues writing in the dirt. He mentions that twice. They all drop stones. They all end up walking away. And Jesus goes to her and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Jesus met her exactly where she was at. Before she changed her belief or her behavior, he said, I don't condemn you. In some way, we belong. I really believe that God wants us to be a community of grace and not of shame. And here's the reason why. Because we're all broken. We all need grace on some level. None of us are perfect. The moment that we can stop trying to be perfect 
and just say, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for extending favor to us even when we don't deserve it. Thank you for loving us even when we fail again and again. Thank you for, even if you never, this is what's crazy. If you're here for the first time and you've never believed in Jesus, if you're like, I'm in this sinful trap and I can't get myself out, the love of God is not dependent on your actions. He loves you immensely right now. And if you were to give your life to him and follow him, he would love you just the same. The only difference is that because you're following his design, you would experience it in a richer way. There would be more joy, more hope, more light, more freedom. But God's love does not change. There is no wrath that God is waiting to pour out. He just wants to extend grace. And as people of God, we are called to do the same. All right, so in closing, what does this mean for us? All right, verse 2 says, The renewing of your mind leads to transformation. Now, what does that lead to? The third part of this verse that's really familiar, it says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. After we say, God, we want to honor you with our bodies, not just our mind and our spirit. After we let go of culture and be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Paul says, then you can approve what God's will is. Then you can discover it. Then you can find it. I think what that means is that we have the greatest chance to discover what God really wanted us to experience when it comes to sexuality. When we become a community that says, Lord, what we do with our body matters, Lord, we're going to talk about it and be vulnerable and walk with each other. God, we're going to learn to live with wisdom and not just be judgmental, legalistic people. And we're going to do it in grace that we experience and give to others. When we do that, I really believe then we'll be able to approve and know what God's will is. Could you imagine that? What if Pine Lake Covenant Church became the place that defined healthy sexuality? for Sammamish and, the, Sammamish and the surrounding areas. What would that look like? It'd be like, man, those Christians at Pine Lake, they, have some, they, they, they look really happy. Their marriage looks like it's really thriving. Maybe that's connected to intimacy, maybe it's not. Oh, you know what? There's a bunch of kids, and I don't know, maybe, oh, I don't know about those kids, but that church really loves them. They walk with them. They trust them. What would it be like if kids weren't afraid of being shunned by the church And it's like, why are you harping on that, J.D.? Because I know that there have been people in situations where that's been a reality. You guys hear me this morning? I'm not talking about something distant. I'm trying to honor the stories of people here, but it's here. God wants us to experience this. And here's the big point. God's desire for you, for me, for us, is to experience sexuality as a gift, not as a curse. I thought really hard. This is going to be recorded, and I thought if Elise turns like, I don't know, 13, 14, she'll probably listen to it when she's 10, going at the rate she is. But what would I want her to remember? And I want her to remember this. That God's desire for you is to experience sexuality as a gift, not as a curse. We can do that together. We can do it together. So where are you this morning? Maybe you need freedom from sexual sin, the cycle of guilt and shame. Maybe you need a safe place to ask questions and process what you're feeling. And if this church hasn't been that for you, I'm so, so sorry. We're going to try. Maybe you need to rethink your approach and how you treat people when it comes to this. Maybe you need to find restoration and healing from the lies you've experienced and heard. I invite the worship team to come back up as I read this verse one more time. 
Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, let's be that community. Let's do it together. Pray with me. God, I am so beyond thankful that all of this starts with your love for us, that we find incredible grace in you. And Lord, we're so broken and often very hopelessly lost. Will you shine light and help us find our way? God, I pray for peace in this room, peace in the lives of marriages, of families, of young people. God, I pray for freedom in this room. Lord, I pray for restoration in this room. God, I pray for joy. May the walls that divide us, the hiding places that we isolate ourselves in, God, just be destroyed in the light of your grace. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.